Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Good y'all and welcome to In the Deep, a deep league focused fantasy baseball podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. My name is Jordan White, and I am joined again by my good friend and co-host, Christopher Schwebzy Weber. Schwebzy, how you doing this week, buddy? Hi, friends. I didn't forget this time. Ah. I'm I'm You doing literally great. would have gotten away with it if you didn't say anything. I, I you need to like be accountable. If you're you know, if you're not accountable for yourself, who's like I, I can't rely on you to be accountable for me. Come on. He wrapped no, me up I, with high friends last time, so he, he was making up for it this time by calling himself out. I'm just going to drop a second one somewhere in the middle of the podcast just to kind of like balance those scales at some point. Ready for the ad break? Uh, that's going to be the ad break. It's just going to be me saying hi, friends, over and over. It's like paying a penance, yes. Uh, we're not alone once again this week. We've been on a roll with, with the guests, uh, and I think this is probably, we just keep going up and up and up, and it's going to go downhill after we have Yancey on later, but it's fine. Uh, rejoining us once again here on the pod is someone we admire dearly. They are the co-host of Take Me Into the Ball Game, uh, an author, actor of stage and screen, who most recently starred opposite Nicholas Baruti in Cryptid, which looks super duper cool, by the way, and is also a frequent guest analyst on MLB Network's Off Base and the unofficial head of the Gender Nonconforming People Love Play Discipline, Discipline Party, Ellen Adair. Oh, thank you, thank you. If if it were possible for your introduction to be even better than it was last time. It was indeed. Yes. Thank you so much for being part of the gender nonconforming people love plate discipline. Uh, import, it's an important lobby. Um, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Big fan so, of the NCP LPDP. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so much. How can you <laughs> yeah, do that so quickly? Not yet a 501c3 organization, but we're filing <laughs> our paperwork. <laughs> Also on the tags slash metal bowl, we have Mabel the dog who uh, <gasps> was sleeping for most of today and has now woken up and is eating her dinner. And so that means that she's going to be very sprightly and running around. I love this. We love a Perfect. Mabel appearance every single time we have you on the pod. Uh, so, Ellen, before we get into like the real deal baseball stuff, uh, do you want to plug anything at the front of the show? Anything you've been up to lately? Obviously, I said that you most recently starred in a movie called Cryptid which I think looks awesome and I really want to watch. Well, uh, is there anything else you want to plug? Um, well, the thing that I could mention about Cryptid, um, it is in fact not the most recent movie that I shot, but it is the film that is coming out the soonest. So yes. that will be on video on demand on like basically anywhere like Amazon, Apple, et cetera, starting on January 3rd. So that's coming up that folks are going to be able to see cryptid in your small home theaters. And uh, I was also recently in LA at Comic-Con promoting a different movie. Um, this was actually the most recent movie that I shot. I shot it earlier this year 
uh, called Herd, and uh, it's uh, they're they're both sort of like horror movies of different genres, uh, but uh, Cryptid is sort of like a slow burn thriller. It's a monster movie, as you might guess if you know what a Cryptid is, and uh, Herd is a zombie film, but it's like uh, virus based zombies. And uh, it is—it's actually a really beautiful script, and I'm—I'm I'm very excited to uh, to see it. I have seen *Cryptid* because I went to a number of film festivals where it showed this fall, but I have not actually yet seen *Heard*. Uh, so I think I think we would be remiss if we didn't mention who plays your father in *Heard*. Indeed, which is Roger Dorn himself, Corbin Burnson. Yes, which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Oh God. It was so cool. I was definitely like, I'm going to, I'm going to play this really cool and I'm not going to like mention anything about how I have a podcast about baseball movies. And then like within the first hour of meeting him, I was like, so I have a <laughs> podcast about grading baseball movies on the 20 to 80 scouting scale. And we've done all three of the major league movies. And I think you're a comedic genius. And uh, he was really uh, a delightful person to work with. He, as you might expect, he's just sort of says, whatever he's thinking, which is delightful. And, uh, and he is also, it was, it's not a particularly funny movie, but there were certain things that he did. Like there was one flashback scene that we were shooting and he was like, what if I, you know, when I come up to the top of this balcony, I end up kicking an empty beer can off the balcony or like, what if I sing row, row, row your boat? Um, and I was, you know, not supposed to be, laughing in delight but i was secretly laughing in delight <laughs> it was like the shot over your shoulder and you can see your shoulders kind of going up and down like this because you're trying to yeah, stifle a laugh sort of thing and i'm love like it. i'm crying i'm crying that's what's going on <laughs> totally traumatized by my father whom i do not love <laughs> oh. yeah it was great it was really great um but yeah i had the best time it's just uh all i want to do is uh get to be a queer action hero and so this movie was uh really a dream this sounds wonderful, and I'm excited to see that one, too. Uh, so there's been a lot of stuff happening in terms of free agents and trades and things like that. So we kind of want to go over some of those and get your reactions. Obviously, we're, there's going to be some Phillies talk down the line. Uh, right. First off, I'm going to be really selfish and talk about the Sean Murphy trade. Uh, you mean so, the William Contreras trade? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how? Basically, <laughs> is what I'm going to pose to you. How? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that the initial reaction was that it was very puzzling for Atlanta to, to give up prospects for something that was like a, already a strength for them um, mm -hmm. with now the brewer, William Contreras. Congratulations, by the way. Thank um, you so much. And Travis Darno and Pena, like they already had three. Um, yeah. It was sort of a situation where it's like one team is hoarding all of the catchers and this other team is hoarding all of the shortstops. Um, but particularly when Contreras is younger than Murphy by four whole years and has two more years of free agency and just had a fantastic season. Like, mm -hmm. yes, Murphy had played half of his games in the sort of terrible hitters submarine of uh, the Coliseum, but Contreras still had a better offensive season by WRC+. Plus. He had a mm -hmm. uh, 138 to Murphy's 122, which corrects for like playing in the, I mean, it's like the opposite of a submarine, actually. It's like the huge battleship. Um, so like most people who play fantasy were probably going to be taking like, well, like 
both of the contrarii over Murphy, even if not by much. But I think this is just, it's not a fantasy trade. It's, it's a real world trade. And I think that it's possible that Anthopolis was number one, maybe taking the sure thing over the gamble. So like Contreras wasn't particularly good in his rookie season, but the main factor is obviously Murphy's defense, particularly his 80 grade arm. And what I haven't really heard anyone talking about is whether it might be that sort of the rule changes specifically, you know, limiting throwovers and therefore incentivizing stolen bases has Mm. sort of like fueled this particular trade. Like Anthopolis is so smart that I would bet that he thought, you know what, getting a defensive catcher to help control the running game is going to be a huge priority this offseason, but we're not going to even like say anything about it because we don't want the other teams realizing what a possible competitive advantage this is going to be. So Murphy caught 31% of batters stealing last year, which isn't like, you know, the 44% of JT Real Muto, no big deal or anything, but it is an improvement uh, over Travis Darno at 25% and Contreras' uh, 27% mark in 2021. He had no stolen base attempts on him this year in 60 games at catcher. So that's what I think was going on. Uh, but it is nevertheless uh, definitely a sort of an interesting trade. I, I feel like I don't, I don't know whether actually Oakland ends up sort of coming ahead for this one or I mean you know we'll see whether or not it ends up being a real factor for Atlanta that's a really interesting thought like whenever people talk about like the future of catcher defense the next few years they always bring up the automated strike zone that we're due for one of these years and everyone says that catcher defense is going to be minimized because of that and I haven't really I haven't heard anybody bring that up so that's a that's a really good point something I hadn't thought of and I wonder, uh, I, you know, I, I wonder, I don't think that, well, I mean, maybe this is something that the, the very smart people over at Fangraphs and Baseball Reference are already thinking of, but I don't think that the current structure of catcher defense in like war is going to like properly value like the next year or two of catcher defense. So I, I'm, oh God, that's just sent me down a, a, a train of thought that I wasn't expecting. This, this is going to be a future like, discussion on the podcast at some point well who knows if sort of eventually pitchers are able to adapt a little bit more but i think you know right now when we're sort of like in the liminal space of these rule changes i think it could be really huge yeah alex anthopoulos is is fantastic at the uh the 5d chess of roster construction I, i wouldn't be surprised if he was ahead of the curve on that yeah what what are your feelings about the trade jordan I mean, besides like hooray, right? I'm just, I'm still just gobsmacked by the return that the Brewers got considering what they gave up. I mean, what it comes down to is that the A's, I mean, it feels so bad for their fan base, but like, it feels like they're giving so much away for Asturi Ruiz, who is to me just fine. And like, it solves a very like clear issue for the Brewers, which was catcher. Like Omar Narvaez took a huge, huge, huge step down. Uh, offensively, like he's become become a much better defensive catcher, but the bat since he came over from Seattle has just been on a downward trend for the past two, three years now. Um, so I think that from an offensive perspective, uh, Contreras's bat is going to play play up much more than his does. I, I just really don't get how they didn't lose more 
the Brewers in this trade. It, it still, I, I, yeah. I, I don't get it at all. Um, but then again, uh, A's are going to A. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess their attitude. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> yeah, we I, breaking on in the deep. The A's are considering Las Vegas and Winnipeg. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that it's yeah, it's it's super interesting. Obviously, the A's like they had already gotten Shea Langoliers from Atlanta the previous off season, so they're just sort of like Sean Murphy is extra. So like, let's see what we can get from him for him, and that it seems like a lot of their attitude in trades has been precisely what many fantasy players would want to avoid, which is quantity uh, over quality necessarily. So like, let's just get a bunch of guys and like, you know, hopefully one of them will work out. Um, in In terms of the fantasy impact, obviously, as I know that this is a fantasy podcast, you know, I think that it's it's also stock up for yeah i mean <laughs> look you're you're like exactly where my heart lives which is like let's just talk about baseball sometimes it'll be Please. fantasy sometimes it won't um but yeah i mean i think that it's sort of stock up for contreras because he'll probably he's got more assured playing time rather than you know is he gonna how often is he gonna dh is he gonna be in the catcher scrum at all and you know i think that for murphy he he gains some by getting to play in a better lineup and a better home park, but he also probably won't play quite as many games as he did. He played so many mm. games last year. Um, and yeah, in terms of Estuary Ruiz, you know, he's just really bounced all around and he's been in so many different farm systems. And you do hear adages about prospects that are traded a lot, not necessarily panning out. And, you know, in some ways, like you could see the perspective of like, well, right, but he's very valuable as a as a trade chip. But it's like, yeah, didn't any of these teams decide, oh, no, like we're absolutely not going to trade our estuary Ruiz. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You want him? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to give up something to get something. Um, But, you know, certainly I think we might get to see who he is at the major league level next year, given that he is now playing for the A's and Correct. it's going to like slot right into their lineup and maybe he'll hit lead off. And he stole 85 bases this year in the minors, yeah. like 85. It's insane. It's, it's old timey numbers and he's good at making contact and he doesn't strike out a ton. I, he does not have a ton of power, but he could be useful for somebody in the deep. Um, if the if they're sort of like insane, yeah, and I mean everybody's going to steal more bases next year, probably. But if you're sort of taking the attitude that you're like, I don't want to pay up for stolen bases, and I just want to try to get them late, Estuary Ruiz could be your guy. I don't Um, know what his ADP is right now. I actually want to look that up really quick too. It's a three forty three. Oh, I think I would have guessed it was later, but still, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what are the odds that we have someone like him that steals, I'll be conservative, 50 50 or more bases at the the end of the day, if Bubba Thompson can be fantasy relevant for a stretch, then Ruiz can. Yeah. That's not wrong. Yeah. I totally forgot about Bubba Thompson. Wow. (laughs) 
just from uh, uh, to to briefly touch on what is uh, ostensibly the topic of the podcast, and that is deep leagues. Uh, uh, Ruiz is obviously a, an important uh, uh, piece this year, probably for for teams in need of speed in the late rounds. What about Kyle Muller for for deep league pitching staffs? Yeah, well, I mean, he's probably going to just slot into the A's rotation, and they'll sort of see what they got. And it's obviously a better park for him to pitch in from a from a fantasy perspective. And he has only 49 innings in the majors, and they have not been super inspiring. But the thing that jumps out to me as a huge problem is he has a 13% walk rate, but it's been much better in the minors. So it was 7.4% in 23 starts in AAA this year. And to me, control is the kind of thing that should be a stickier skill in a good way i don't know do people say that the sticky skill it should translate better than it has and his overall swinging strike rate has been okay 12.4 percent like you wouldn't kick that out of bed but he doesn't have a definitive out pitch and i was reading what keith law said about him and he seems to think that it's command more than more than a control issue because he mm. also tends to leave his fastball in the middle of the plate but he thinks if he could elevate it more he could have an out pitch in his fastball and that sounds like something that nicholas patrick pollock would also agree with hypothetically nicholas patrick we have the new name for the episode yes hooray i'm uh, it's i can't believe i didn't think of patrick last time because patrick is one of my favorite names overall and i don't even remember what name i thought of but it wasn't patrick it was strong irish name yeah yeah especially if you if it's spelled like in the in the irish way p-a-d-r-a-i-c patrick yeah yeah um but i also saw as long as we're talking about keith law um that he thinks that the best prospect in the trade is actually freddie tarnock who is a year younger than mm. Mueller at 24 and could see a chance with the A's this year, but probably is not up immediately. I mean, that's my guess. That's not Law's prognostication. Um, but he says that he has a plus changeup and an average curveball and a slider, but he struggles to throw strikes with anything but the fastball. So it's definitely about having the stuff, but needing to hone command and control. And he had a 10% walk rate at double A and 9.1% at triple a this year so not not great not great for either of them in that particular regard yeah the uh three third fourth and fifth projected starter for the oakland a's right now have a combined what is this 60 innings uh in the majors last year so really uh anything could happen with those three four and five spots coming into 2023 oh my god it's gonna be 2023 it's uh, true oh man it's so but, close yeah, so so could be could be i mean the Oakland A's are one of those teams that just they always seem to turn out some kind of interesting like glue guy for your pitching staff. There's always some interesting like three five or three seven ERA guy that winds up being like somewhat useful. And I'm you know, I'm sure they're gonna keep on doing that. I'm stuck on the the Quebec A's now. That's gonna be in my head forever. I I, I want them to relocate now and be the Quebec A's. Give us back to Montreal Expos. Montreal A's works too, yeah. A- Montreal Well, the A- thing Expos. is with... I, well, I mean, actually, I was going to say in French, it's ah, right? So are they... Mm, yeah. Are they... That's like the their hesitation Are they the sound. Quebec A's instead Quebec. of A's? <laughs> Athletics? I don't know. 
been a while <laughs> since I took French, but I remember the alphabet. You quite literally used a French word in our DMs leading up to this episode. I don't. Uh, I don't remember. Oh, used parfait. Parfait. <laughs> parfait. Uh, uh. But yes. Uh, so let's go over to some players that have not yet signed anywhere, and then we'll get to the Phillies talk because I know that is going to be the most exciting part of the episode for you. But uh, it's all do you exciting. Have any- Oh, thanks. Uh, Atlanta <laughs> doing baffling things is very exciting for me. That is true. Yay, it's give up your prospects for a questionable game, please. <laughs> I'm, I'm in a group Honestly, chat with uh, with a lot of uh, Atlanta Braves fans. I'm and sorry. And they were kind of, they were kind of, <laughs> they, they were, they were a little doom and gloom about the trade. And I had to be like, look, guys, I love when you're upset, but like Sean Murphy is really good. And uh, the reason that they're upset is because their prospects always work out, right? I mean, not always, but I mean, maybe eventually. Do you know what I mean? It might, it like, might be like a recency bias thing, but yes. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, also, I will say Schwebzy and I are in a, a dynasty league together, uh, and it's the both of us, and I'd say, what, like 10 other Atlanta Braves fans? Oh, maybe, maybe like seven. Uh, there's a there's a couple of mismatch. there's a Reds fan. There's a Reds fan and Cubs fan. And then I think the yeah. rest are like Atlanta fans. Uh, and I just the, the biggest chef's kiss uh, after that trade happened, just seeing the, the group <laughs> chat just unravel on a molecular level. Just so angry. So, 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 so angry. And I was just None the embodiment. I was just the embodiment of that Elmo gif in front of the fire. Just, I was yes, let it burn. <laughs> I I was I was the sickos meme. <laughs> yes, I, I I was the sickos meme. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, oh, fantastic. But, yeah. So let's roll along to some folks that have not signed. Obviously, this is a deep league podcast. These people will not be deeply relevant. Uh, but but we also like just talking about baseball. We do. We're friends who just they, like talking about baseball. Yeah, that's what the off season's for. Honestly. Uh. Okay, do you have, and it cannot be the Phillies, obviously, but do you have, like, an ideal landing spot for Carlos Rodon or Carlos Correa? Oh, I mean, ideal is maybe a different question than where I think that they're going to (laughs) go. Where do you think that, here, okay, where do you think they're going to end up, and where do you think they would see the most success if they signed there? That's a fun way to phrase this. Great. Yeah. So, I mean, for Rodon, there's been so much smoke around the Yankees offering Rodon a contract that I, th- mm-hmm. I think there's fire there. And I think they end up adding him because otherwise they're the Yankees and they haven't really improved from last season. They've just sort of not actively gotten worse by, you know, letting a franchise star go somewhere else. I mean, I feel like it's hard to imagine a better outcome for him than going back to the Giants, although I don't think that that's particularly likely, um, given that they just got Sean Mania. And so I sort of think that that probably takes them out of it for Rodon. But yeah, I guess those I guess those are going to be my answers. Um, Just in terms of like, obviously, that's where he saw so much more success. And like, it's a great park for pitchers. Uh, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily the, the, I don't even know that there's an answer for me about like, where does my heart want Rodon to go? Cause like, I know he's not going to go to the Phillies. <laughs> the, you don't the even Giants have to take actually, that proviso off the table. The Giants <laughs> just lowered their odds even further by acquiring Ross Stripling today for a two year, $25 million contract in their bid to sign every player that Jordan really likes more than the, the rest of the world. 
I, I am Farhan Zaidi. I had missed that important piece of news. So yeah, that's absolutely not going to happen. Um, it's I, I really think it's going to be the Yankees. I feel like this offseason has been, I mean, with the exception, of course, of like Arson Judge um, going to the Giants. <laughs> I think that this offseason has actually been pretty good for there being like a strong rumor and then that rumor kind of bearing out. You know, I'm I'm actually glad you said the Yankees because, you know, historically as a Met fan, being and being originally from New York, I, there was a lot of little brother syndrome there. And when you said that the Yankees might sign Rodon in the past, I'd have been like, of course, yeah, of course the Yankees are going to get Rodon. And now I'm like, that's cute. That's nice. You guys go get Rodon. <laughs> There's been growth here. Thank, and that's all. That's all. Thanks. Thanks to Steve Cohen. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. For sure. You can definitely you can have a lot more perspective when your team is running a like three hundred and five million dollar payroll. <laughs> how does it feel, Schwebsey, as, as a Brewers fan? Just like from, it's from nice. it's how like, does that oh, feel to have a billionaire sorry, that just throws around money all willy nilly? Is paying like, like 74 million in tax this year, I think. It's Something with like with that. the money with the money that the Mets have thrown around this offseason and the money that the Phillies have thrown around this offseason. It's like we're, Ellen and I are the uh, the two fierce looking dragons in in that meme and you are you are the goofy looking one the derpy one yeah that yeah. makes a lot of sense that does make a lot of sense but you're a a a very attractive dragon that just got William Contreras and so you can feel good about that that's just and like a very savvy dragon yes indeed you're, you're a very, very savvy dragon that, we are the ones hoarding gold <laughs> you're you're fortunate that flattery plays well on this podcast Ellen. <laughs> I appreciate we, that. We, we, are, we are like Smaug. <laughs> you, are, you are a trickster. Well, the very first thing that I said to you uh, was like, hello, you you know, beautiful, attractive people. And then uh, you couldn't hear me because we had technical difficulties. Aww. So, yeah. It was it's the a... world keeping my ego in check. <laughs> the universe I, mean, will know I didn't that. do a very good job of keeping your ego in check in this particular regard. Yeah, if you do it too much, we'll become far too powerful. Nick already thinks we're unwieldy enough as it is. <laughs> like he literally said when he was on the podcast, this feels very much like w when the cats are away, the mice will play <laughs> sort of podcast, which is incredibly apt and very fitting. Oh, Miscalculation on, on our part, having him as a guest. So now he knows what the vibe is here. <laughs> and the vibes are off. He has actually asked Adam how to like keep a closer eye on us when we release our episodes. So... <laughs> Well, I am feeling very responsible to try to lend as much of the mice at play shenanigans and nonsense and uh, completely useless verbiage to this podcast as possible. So, Thank you for giving us the excuse to just clown the entire I'm on time. board. We appreciate it. <laughs> I'm on yes. board. All right. Now, the moment that I'm sure you've been waiting for. Oh wait, did I answer all of your questions? I think I just Oh wait, no, we didn't talk on. about Oh, yeah, we didn't talk about Korea. I guess well, sure, we'll talk about Korea too, I suppose. Yeah. I mean I do cuz we were just talking about the Giants. It feels like the Giants should get him since they were in on Aaron Judge and mm. I feel like there's they're still trying to sign the guy that they can put on the little banners outside of the stadium. Um mm, now yes. that basically like everybody from their championships besides Brandon Crawford is gone and like is Brandon Crawford really here? Um I I know that they also got Hanniger and like I'm I'm happy for everyone involved, but I think they've been in the market for someone else. But 
my heart does want it to be the Cubs because I have so many friends who are Cubs fans and they are, they are very sad because of the Wilson Contreras situation. And so I want them to be made happier. Uh, ideally in time for the holidays. It's been very considerate actually of so many MLB teams to like get their off season shopping done in time for the holidays. Uh, but I, I also think that it actually maybe even makes more sense for the Cubs who you could say are coming out of a rebuild, whereas the Giants, I'm honestly a little confused as to like the direction of the franchise or the sort of spending profile of Zaidi. Like, I mean, obviously they had a great season in 2021, but I think mm -hmm. pretty much everybody was like, yeah, that's because we got basically the best possible outcome from everybody on the team. And yes. many of those players are not e going to even be on the 2023 team. So, um, yeah, those are, those are my answers for Correa. I, I take a little bit of offense to you saying the Cubs one, obviously Brewers fan two, because I wonder what that means for Nico Horner. Cause I'm a, Big Nico Horner fan, and I think mm -hmm. that he could be like a 2020 bat potentially at some point in time. I think it's more likely that Madrigal is the odd man out there compared mm -hmm. to, uh, compared to Horner. Oh yeah, they shift. They probably shift Horner over to second base. Yeah, that makes more sense. Okay, I'm not that. You I'm know, not that upset by it. I do like those zone contact guys, but just as like a baseball fan. <laughs> yes, not as a fantasy baseball fan. Not they are not that exciting fan. at all. But I mean, like last year, Horner had, I mean, that's another person that's like a late round pick that you can probably get. Um, I assume, I don't even know what Horner's ADP is right now. Uh, no idea. But he had 20 stolen bases last year. He's like 95th plus percentile in speed, sprint speed, uh, can burn on base pads. You're not going to believe this. What would you guess that his ADP is? Are we both supposed to it, guess? I haven't like looked at any ADP information. Either, I mean same basically uh gosh uh it's probably when, the way that you said it i feel like it's gonna be way better than you thought or way better than i thought so i figure it's gonna be like oh like ellen jordan is spectacularly good at guessing things like just in general i'm very excited for this i'm gonna say like my neighbors are yelling sorry uh 214 Ooh, I was so, going to guess. Can I just make a guess? I just want to yeah. make a, like 262. All right. He is 148. Oh, ouch. Way yes. more off than Jordan usually is. Yeah. He's is, being drafted at 148, I, which is wild. Did I not know that like the community was very high on Nico Horner coming into this year? I mean, maybe it's a batting average thing. Dragging well, his that, uh, I think it's, value I think up. it's that plus the new, the new base, the new like bigger bases. I'm, I'm as surprised as you guys are weird he's a um, he's a, a three spots after william Contreras. oh that i mean yeah that just feels like that's not a price i'm gonna pay <laughs> it's weird because he's a shortstop and that position yeah. is so deep yeah Curious. although although you know if if the cubs sign any shortstop let's say that they also sign dansby swanson and Horner moves mm. over to second. I don't know if he's eligible at second, but like anybody who's extra eligible at second is going to be helpful to everyone. That Very that true. would help his value out greatly. Yeah, maybe that's the anticipation is that they're going to sign a shortstop and he'll have that dual or that uh, second position eligibility moving into, I don't know, like what is it? Most platforms, it's like 10 games, 20 games. 
Yeah, that's that's five D chess is drafting Nico yeah. Horner in the what twelfth round, anticipating second base eligibility. <laughs> in, in three Couldn't weeks. be me. I'm a cartoon yeah. character. I am simply two dimensional. <laughs> Flat Stanley type drafter. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> I feel so seen. You feel so seen? Was it the Flat Stanley reference? Yeah, no, just just like that's the kind of drafter I am. I feel like definitely not. But like, well, what if they sign Dansby Swanson because he just got married to a woman who plays soccer for the Chicago team. So certainly he's going to sign for the Cubs and then I'll draft Nico Horner and he'll move over to second. This is not the kind of thoughts that I tend to have. I like genuinely wonder if... Like this, this was like a a very very tiny like non important conspiracy theory that I had is if he wait, was waiting to like actually go into like serious contract negotiations in any capacity until after his wedding. Mm. I mean, I almost wonder if that was like a consideration. I mean, having recently gotten married and <laughs> knowing like what goes into the planning, I would I would absolutely buy that. Having not recently gotten married, but also knowing what's going into the planning, yeah, I would, I would buy that as well. Although he probably had enough money to hire a wedding planner, which was not something yep. that I did. <laughs> and that, that's what the agent's for anyway. So, you know, that, that stuff could have been going on without him even, you know, having too much input. I love it, though. I think that this is very important. The A's are moving to Quebec, and the reason that Dansby Swanson hasn't signed yet is because he told his agent not to let him sign until after he was done filling out, like, stuffing all of the little almonds into the bags by himself and, like, you know, lettering the place holder things himself. Yeah, clearly this is what was happening. I can't talk AAV because I'm making centerpieces. Yeah, exactly. oh god i love it that's the kind of hard-hitting journalism you come to in the deep for speculative yeah. journalism the most I mean, important kind. you guys are killing it Ugh. absolutely I would, I would hate to say something that was actually sourced <laughs> <laughs> i'm really sorry i mentioned keith law earlier bad form bad form <laughs> it's all right uh okay and then i'm trying to think wait what were we going to talk about after that oh phillies Let's talk about Phillies. You just like completely forgot about it. It's okay. Yeah, I did. Okay. No, no it's fine. Deal. Uh so uh let's talk about like the biggest thing first, and then we'll work down the list to the more deep league stuff. Trey Turner. I know oh you've had goodness. opportunities to gush about this already, but feel free to just tell us how you feel. I have, but I'm just so glad that I've got at least eleven years to talk about Trey Turner. Um, because I've been Trey Turner has been one of my favorite players for a very long time. And I like, I can't, I can't believe I know that now here we are, Schwebzy and I are sitting around, you know, with our, with our owners who are just like lounging on their bags that have the dollar signs on the side of them. And we're just living the good life. But like, uh, it wasn't always this way for Phillies fans, you know, like I, I feel like Bryce Harper coming to the Phillies, not the first big free agent signing of my life. I mean, the Cliff Lee, I can still see it if I just look straight through the hallway to the New York Daily News cover um, of the day that Cliff Lee chose the Phillies over the Yankees because it was that and uh, that much of an important day in my life. But yeah, it's still really beautiful that Trey Turner left some money on the table to come play for the Phillies. And 
you know, I have had other opportunities to gush about Trey Turner and why I think he's such a good fit for the Phillies in particular. I think that they really need a leadoff hitter. Uh, there is a little bit of sort of uh, controversy about whether or not it will be Trey Turner. Obviously, it should be Trey Turner or whether or not it will be Kyle Schwarber. Um, but Trey Turner did talk in his press conference about the fact that, you know, he and Schwarber are friends from the times that they that they played on the Nationals together. And, you know, they've talked on the phone about it. And so that it's all very uh, collegial, this particular uh, the, the player's attitude around this question, which I think is obviously good. Uh, but, you know, Trey Turner should wreak havoc on the base paths in 2023. This is what I want to see um, with the with the bigger bases and and the pickoffs being limited and so on. You know, I want to see him really strike heart, uh, strike, strike fear into the hearts of the opposing pitchers. And He's, you know, he's just such a, a well-rounded player. And I also appreciate that in his pref- press conference, he talked about seeing how much fun the Phillies players were having with each other uh, in the postseason and also how incredibly involved and loud the fans were. And, you know, those are the kinds of factors that, it makes you feel really good about players wanting to come and play for your team because they feel like there are good vibes there, whether those are clubhouse good vibes or whether those are fan base good vibes. It just, um, yeah, it warms my little heart. My brain can't comprehend a 40-year-old Trey Turner. I feel like he's just still going to look like, right. you know, is Tom still Holland look and like Spider-Man. A child? Yeah, yeah. He is. That's fine. I'm fine with it. Yeah. Benjamin Button baseball player. Yeah. Mike Petriello did a really excellent piece about how he sort of anticipates his speed might age. And I mean, I suppose I can call it excellent. I mean, number one, I love everything that Mike Petriello does, but uh, and I'm really sorry to mention something else that was sourced. It was just, this was off the top of my head. I wasn't planning to say this, but basically he was like, Trey Turner's speed is still so elite. Like at, at age 29, it really has not decreased at all. Still 99th percentile sprint speed. And so though it is going to go down by the time he is 40, for sure, it's so elite that he's probably still going to be an athletic player. He's not going to transform suddenly, you know, on his 38th right. birthday into a lumbering DH type. He's still probably going to have above average speed and agility, which was a nice way to think about it. And I mean, I don't know, also makes sense. I feel like there's obviously there's been a lot of back and forth between people being like, this is stupid because speed guys don't age very well. And other people being like, well, yeah, but if the speed is this good, then it just means he's going to continue to be athletic, which was sort of, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm such a, a Trey Turner stand that that was the position that I was going to take myself. And, I mean, there's always outliers like Ken, Kenny Lofton did it forever. And mm-hmm. he was a center fielder with, you know, which is, a, you know, the, the position where you get beat up uh, the most if you, you know, if you're Byron Buxton. <laughs> I, just just I, hypothetically. Sorry, I'm sorry sorry for sorry for the stray to to Byron Buxton fans out there and anybody who's ever drafted him which includes myself Josh Perry's seething right now <laughs> <laughs> Josh Perry punching air as we speak 
so as long I actually, as it's not a coffee table or a wall or a locker or anything that true. major league pitchers tend to punch. <laughs> so last week I, I didn't mention this at the start. Uh, well, or, yeah, last week I did a, an episode of Triple Play with uh, the the Mendelsons and some some other guests, and uh, someone mentioned that they drafted Byron Buxton for the first time just now. And I'm like, oh, you sweet summer child, you haven't you haven't experienced it yet. Oh, you you poor man. I have never drafted Byron Buxton. I've, I've never, I don't have a share of Byron Buxton either I've in never, my life. I've never, I've never done it. I don't know. I'm too risk averse. There's like so, so much gambling in my overall life and profession. I like not actual gambling. I just mean like, when will I ever have a job again? Who knows that it's like, I'm incredibly risk averse in basically any other day. Roll those dice, baby. <laughs> yes. Yeah, completely. I mean, I do think also for just for, and this is obviously not a deeply consideration, but uh, like two cents of fantasy analysis on Trey Turner is that he obviously was running less with the Dodgers, but I think that that has more to do with number one, where he often was hitting in the lineup, i.e. not lead off. And like, hopefully he's lead off for the Phillies cross fingers. And number two, like the Dodgers are so good. They don't need people to steal bases. Whereas the Phillies mm -hmm. are like, you know, right there where they're like, yeah, like steal a base. I think they were fifth in the majors in stolen bases last year. Um, so my, my hot Trey Turner take and, uh, you know, get stick with a Trey little Turner bit of fantasy relevance hot. here. Hey, uh, we did a, we did a pitcher list mock draft earlier this off season and I had the first overall pick and I picked, uh, Jose Ramirez first overall citing that there was uncertainty with Trey Turner's situation with what team he was going to wind up with. And, you know, had that mock draft happened now and I knew the environment and the lineup and the ballpark that he was in now, I would have gone with Trey Turner over Jose Ramirez. I don't think Jose Ramirez is a bad pick there at all, even knowing what you know, just because of, you know, the relative scarcity of excellent third base people versus mm -hmm. shortstops. And, you know, and you're going to be more likely to be able to get some kind of speed from whomever you draft for shortstop, whereas like Jose Ramirez is one of the only people who's going to be able to do that for you at third base. So I'm here to defend your pick. I don't think it was a bad pick, but like I, I had like I had a clear reason for going Ramirez over Trey, and now that reason is gone. Well, I just give you a new reason, so Yeah, I think I think they're both like bastions of consistency at this point. So I don't mm -hmm. I really don't think you can go wrong there. Though like I'm valuing consistency this off season, this this draft season. So I, I probably I like I would probably go those guys like one and two. In, in some order or another in, in, in most drafts. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds fair to me. I also, I also am value consistency and, and I don't like a lot of injury risk or like question marks, especially in the early rounds. For sure. Yeah. I'm probably, I, Trev I actually think, think, I think that you were right for taking, even knowing what we know now, I think it was correct to take Jose Ramirez, mostly because of the reason that Ellen noted, fact that third base is just so much more shallow in comparison i do think that's right um uh something that i do want to talk about though in regard to trey turner is how do you think that his arrival affects bryson stott's fantasy value well 
I feel like the main thing is sort of uh, what we alluded to earlier with our Nico Horner galaxy brain discovery, um, Mm. which is that it is for sure that Bryson Stott will move over to second, um, which will just make him more relevant because, you know, there's like a bunch of, there's like Jose Altuve and a bunch of tumbleweeds at second. Um, No offense to all the other second basemen. Jazz Chisholm slander. (laughs) I mean, obviously I love Jazz Chisholm. Oh, but so injured so often to be so young. Anyway, um, here's the thing. I, I don't think that the full season stat line tells the story for Stott, for anybody who's kind of like, tiptoeing through uh last year's stat lines because the his full season line is going to always show him digging himself out of the incredible hole that he was in in the very irregular playing time that he had under Joe Girardi at the beginning of the season so Mm. I mean that's my theory is like that's why we saw the transformation with the team under Thompson because he let the kids play like that's the campaign after all. Right. And so, you know, all of the all of the players that the Phillies team affectionately refers to as the daycare players were now no longer like looking over their shoulder, concerned about, you know, if I if I'm not good in this at bat, I'm going to lose playing time. And they yeah. just relaxed immediately. And, you know, Stott in particular just blossomed. Uh, so under Thompson. He slashed 254, 316, 400. He had an 8% walk rate, 16% strikeout rate. He hit 10 homers and had 11 steals from June 2nd. So we're not talking about somebody taking over the world, uh, but certainly I think it's it's a more promising stat line than you would see for the whole season. So particularly like digging into the numbers just a little bit, his BABIPs were higher in the minors and was pretty low last year and he he's fast enough he has a 91 percent percentile sprint speed that i think the probably the higher babips are more reflective of who he is and in the minors uh he, at triple a he hit 300 one year and 333 another year so if he's not that he's like he's a 260 hitter he's not a 230 hitter like his sort of season line reads and i mean another thing that i can say that you're not going to get from looking at fan graphs is that he's just got such a slow heartbeat. So one of the best moments of the regular season was when he hit a three run walk off. This is the weekend right after Girardi was fired in the series versus the angels. And so he just, the big moments are not too big for him. And in the postseason, he just looked so calm. He just looked like he'd been there a million times. And the very first Phillies postseason game that I ever went to in my life was versus Atlanta. And he had this astonishing at bat versus Spencer Strider, where he fouled off like five pitches before lacing this RBI double. And, you know, he had a great, uh, I don't know, it was like, 11 pitch at bat versus Verlander and you know where it just looked like why is he the only person doing this right now um so i think that he's not he's not maybe like a superstar either for real life baseball or for fantasy baseball but i think he's a great deeper league play especially if you're looking for a second baseman love it yeah we have a lot of time to see 
where his ADP roams to. Uh, he's at 218 mm. right now, which is actually not. I thought he would be further back than that. I sort of thought he might be further um, back than maybe everybody knows that he is more of a 260 hitter and not a 234 guy. <laughs> yes. But I mean, well, I mean, I didn't, to be fair, because I didn't watch him that closely. I haven't had time to look into his uh, into his profile. And I think it's a really good thing to point out the difference between uh, the new regime with with Thompson as opposed to with Girardi. Uh, and like you said, just kind of that general. I mean, you could see that just in the media in terms of like what was covered with the Phillies. It felt like the vibes were just relaxed and just nice once he took over. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think that's a conducive environment for better performance in general. So, yeah, I think particularly in this day and age where it's like so many of the little decisions that we're yelling at our managers for from the couch were actually potentially just made by the front office or made by somebody else. And so like yep. the main thing that a manager actually probably does for sure is manage personalities and, you know, just give good St. Crispin's Day speeches. And I think it's just clear that that, you know, Rob Thompson is is good at that. He's he's good at at making everybody happy and sort of reading what different guys need and stuff like that. So uh, you know, I think that I was skeptical before this year as to what it, what a difference a manager could actually make, and now I'm converted. <laughs> but I think I it's all, I think it's all soft factors are the you know are the difference that a manager makes is really you know like who who knows how to make everybody happy. No roster Ooh. decisions, just vibes. Just vibes. It's all vibes. vibes. Yeah, and I also love that you managed to work another Kenneth Branagh uh reference into the podcast after we talked about it last time too it's all coming full circle i love this. i didn't remember that i talked about it last time but it is my favorite movie of all time so i'm not surprised <laughs> to be fair i think i brought it up because i was a creep online and found all this fun info about you that i poked you with but oh. yes it's not a creep if i put it out there you know i suppose i suppose sleuthing i guess is the better word but indeed uh so something that you and trubs you can kind of chat about here is the phillies also signed taiwan walker uh, current ADP is 319, which is pretty much like deep league type yeah. uh, eligibility, I would say, for us to talk about. Uh, what are your feelings on Taiwan Walker, uh, both Schwebzy and Ellen, on this? Uh, we'll start with you, Ellen. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's funny because on the afternoon of the Trey Turner signing, I was talking to a friend and I was like, now the Phillies just need to sign a Taiwan Walker type of a guy. Um. Hmm. And so I felt like, is Dave Dombrowski listening to me? <laughs> You're like, bugged. Is, is my phone bugged? Um, and then they signed Matt Strom. And I was like, oh, no, no, it's not. It's just a coincidence. <laughs> um, and uh, so, I mean, the Phillies weren't going to sign somebody else with a qualifying offer attached, having signed Turner. So I, I just knew that. So I never would have guessed that the Phillies... Um, would have, for example, gotten Carlos Rodon. Um, but I I feel fine about this choice. Like the deal is absolutely insane, but like that's the market and he's a million more per year than Jamison Tyone and I feel fine about that. Uh, interestingly, I was talking with Keith Olbermann and he pointed out that Walker implodes in either late July or early August of every season. Um, 
And I mean, he had just like shared a couple of uh, BREF pages from the last couple of years since he's come back from Tommy John. But it's also reflected in his career splits. And I was like, that's crazy and weird. Hmm. You know, like being bad in April or September, both of those things make sense to me somehow. But just like late July or early August, I don't know. And then like being fine again in September. I don't understand it, but it's a thing. So I'm like, great. Now I'll just be prepared. Um, But what I'm hopeful for are a couple of things. And first of all, that it has been a couple of years and he can really sort of be back from Tommy John surgery now, I hope, you know, like it usually takes a while. Verlander is the outlier in all things. Um, But Walker has never done more than 170 innings in a year. And I mean, if that's what the Phillies get out of him, like, they'll be fine. I mean, I hope they'll be fine. I feel like that's normal in this day and age. Um, But I'm hopeful that it's at least that and not less than that. But that's something to think about uh, if you are a person listening to this, not for how I feel about Taiwan Walker and the Phillies, but thinking about rostering Taiwan Walker in your fantasy league. If you're looking at him in a deep league context, like he deals with small injuries every year in addition to dealing with large ones. And you know, Walker had a good season last year and it was, uh, you know, borne up by his peripheral numbers, but this was largely on the back of throwing his splitter a career high amount, which was 27% of the time. And that's cool, obviously, but it's such a volatile pitch. And so my other hope is that Caleb Cotham, this is the Phillies pitching coach, might be able to get a little bit more out of his cutter and his curveball, which he used only five and nine percent last year, respectively. And the reason that I am citing those pitches over his slider, um, which he uses more often, is because a number of pitchers on the Phillies, most notably Jose Alvarado, who was like completely transformed by usage of the cutter, uh, but also Aaron Nola and Ranger Suarez and Zach Eflin all saw improvements in their cutters or their cutter usage or like the existence of a cutter at all under Cotham. And Uh, Bailey Falter, when he had that sort of good run in the middle of the season last year, that was due to improvements and greater usage of his curveball. And, you know, Zach Wheeler has actually talked about how he feels like he's become a better pitcher on the Phillies, which was a laughable notion in the years when every single good reliever came to the Phillies just to to have a nine ERA. Um, So this isn't a reason to draft Walker, but it is something that I'm hopeful for and kind of looking for in in a best of all possible outcomes kind of a way that he might be able to get more strikeouts if he can improve those two pitches. Let me just say that you are going to adore Taiwan Walker. He is a, an immaculate vibes guy. And really like his, you know, July second half struggles, whatever you want to call it. It was one start. He had like a 279 ERA leading up to July 31st. And then on July 31st, he got absolutely annihilated by the Braves, which colored my view of his season. I thought he had a much worse second half than he did. It was really just this one brutal start against the division rival where he gave up eight runs in one inning. Mm, and then I remember from, like that's the kind I, of start oh, that you just remember. <laughs> brutal. Yeah, I, I, yeah it, it really it colored my whole view of his season. I still had it in my head that he had a really bad second half. From that point forward, from uh, the start of August, uh, sorry, uh, August 10th, he had a 3.57 ERA. He was totally fine. 
it was really he had one miserable start that that kind of, it was a, a particularly unfortunate miserable start but he was good for pretty much the whole year uh and you know uh super super lgbtq friendly he had a uh he had a taco stand at city field he's a, just a, a a great guy cromulent pitcher i i maybe a tick above cromulent. Cromulent. <laughs> we've, reached, we've reached the quota for the episode folks we did it we we should get like the soundbite of the uh peewee's funhouse clip go ah, ah, every time i say the word oh like yeah it's Secret it's word. the it's the word of the day every day but yeah uh it's walker's so walker's good he's fant- I, I i think him and ranger suarez should probably have like similar outlooks maybe ranger's a little less prone to the the absolute blow up because he's not reliant on a splitter like taiwan is but uh, yeah there I, I think both of them are going to be you know fantastic rotation stabilizers I, and i i do think that he's going to be basically what he has been the last couple of years uh hopefully with without what he did in 2021 which was a true second half blow up he he was pretty rough uh but again that that was you know a a the deepest he had gone in a season since his surgery so mm-hmm. uh, you know mm-hmm. you got to give him some leeway there yeah, no, I've always been a huge fan of Taiwan Walker, the human being, which is, I think, part of the reason why he was the first person to spring to mind for me about like, we just need one of these guys. But like, yeah, no, I'm very excited uh, that he's on the team as a, as a person. And I'm also excited that he's on the team as a pitcher. Uh, but I would say my opinion of of him as a vibes guy is even higher than him as a pitcher. Really, really uh, brutal swing for for the Mets to lose Taiwan and gain Brooks Raley just a brutal swing in butt there <laughs> yeah yeah uh, I'm sorry Schwebs yeah. <laughs> very sorry about that uh okay so the last signing that we want to talk about is one that he brought up Matt Strom mm-hmm. ADP is 713 like this is getting to the point where it's like too deep for us as well do you have any feelings on Matt Strom we can skim right over this if you want to I mean, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of feelings. I was excited about Strom when he was a a prospect. And so like, it's, it's not, it's not zero feelings at all. And I know that his velocity was playing up out of the bullpen, which, which has made his fastball more effective. And that as a relief pitcher, like he's atypical in having five pitches. And so maybe the Phillies can tweak that mix or maybe it just allows him to be completely unpredictable in short stretches. And so I'm excited for him to be on the team. I don't know that he's the guy that I was like, oh yeah, the Phillies need to go out and get Matt Strom in order to just really solidify their bullpen. Um, I don't hate it. That's my review. <laughs> I mean, as the second lefty out of the pen, he's, you know, he's fine. I, I, why did I think that there were three but maybe are there are there, are there more two. i'm not i know alvarado I mean, alvarado and oh gosh christopher sanchez question mark i mean christopher sanchez like sort of like might be vying for the fifth spot like he's sort of a long man type a little bit more i mean maybe i'm just thinking of brad hand who is now no longer on the phillies mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah he's fine he's a middle reliever it's fantasy we don't care I feel like I'm forgetting somebody and I feel really sorry. I'm sorry, guys. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the uh, I'm looking at their depth chart right now. I don't okay. see any other right. lefties in the mix. Great. Okay. 
It was, I guess it was just the ghost of Brighthand. Uh, at times, Suarez and Falter have been relievers, but uh, they should be. True, in but I don't rotation. think of them that way. Yeah. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes. But the problem is, managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight today and in the future. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Also, I apologize if you can hear in the background, but currently my uh, upstairs neighbor is, uh, I, I believe, hanging an entire gallery worth of pictures in their apartment. Uh, so if you hear that banging, that's what that is. Oh, um, no, I can't hear it at all. I apologize Thank if God. you can hear my upstairs neighbor, who is a composer and plays music frequently, especially when I'm doing self-tapes. And I'm like, this self-tape is just going to have a soundtrack. And can have a nice backing track to it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. If you don't want random sounds in the backs of my self tapes, then you should bring me into a studio to tape them like I did in the old days. No, I, I love our opening and closing songs, but we never have any music for like the 60 minutes in between. So, you know, the first time for everything. Great. I'm just imagining you doing like a very, very serious, like dramatic uh, self tape or something and just having like, your upstairs neighbor just blasting. I, I know because they're a composer, they're probably not playing this, but I'm just imagining them playing like Careless Whisper. Very, very, very loud. It's usually For piano, so it's usually better. Like, like the vibe fits better okay. than that, uh, but it doesn't always match perfectly. <laughs> For me, the role, like, because they have a backing track on your self tape, do you owe them a percentage? No. Like, like if that's the thing. <laughs> absolutely not for for me the uh the the song that comes to mind when i think of a, a neighbor making noise is temperature by sean paul and i cannot tell you why that is was that all you heard through the walls when you lived back in jersey no i don't i don't know 
Sounds plausible, though. I've got nothing. Uh, yeah. Say, so, uh, okay, so we're going to shift a little bit here to something less baseball focused, but still kind of baseball focused. Uh, so your new movie, Cryptid, that's going to be on video on demand soon. January 3rd. Is, yeah, which is basically like an early birthday present for Schwabzi and I. Well, so can can now I know what it is, but can you can you explain to Jordan and the people at home what what Man. a cryptid is in case someone does not know what a cryptid is? I d- I do. I definitely do. Uh a cryptid, gentle listeners, is basically a creature that is purported to exist but there is not scientific proof that it exists. So, a couple that my character mentions in the movie is quote like Bigfoot or Loch Ness. Those are those are like classic examples of a cryptid. Like our listeners. <laughs> There's not scientific proof that your listeners exist. <laughs> Indeed. No offense, listeners. It's hard to see uh, listener footprints. Do you know what I mean? Like their listeners are always blurry in photographs. Uh, something that I've always wondered is like, what if Bigfoot's just blurry? What if the photographs are perfectly in focus, but like the creature's just blurry? It's like a, a a strange cloaking feature that it has. Like the creature vibrates so fast that it can't be perceived. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I think that'd be cool. That's not uh, what when, happens in this movie, but <laughs> when you talked about listener footprints, I don't know why my mind jumped to the uh the footprints on the beach story and like I looked behind me and there was only one set of footprints because Bigfoot was carrying me. I think it's me. Because Schwebsy was carrying you're... me. Because Schwebsy and Jordan were carrying me. Yeah. <laughs> Jordan does carry me on this podcast. That is true. That is not true at all. Also, when I imagine the footprints on the beach, Tori, I imagine like there's only one set of footprints because no one is following us along on this journey, which is this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> We've lost them. They're gone. Oh. <laughs> They've turned around and walked back to the car. Uh, <laughs> but in regards to cryptids... <laughs> Is there a cryptid? I, I, I assume that you have at least some in mind here. Is there a cryptid that you would most or least like to have as a ball player for the Phillies? <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I initially I did some research on like different kinds of cryptids when we shot this movie. And I think that there's mm. a creature called a Jersey Devil. Correct. That's yes. Like a horse with bat type wings, in contrast to the sort of bird type wings of the Pegasus that Aaron Nola rides. And yes. I I just feel like a a player of that particular makeup would be a pretty good fielder, you know? Like they could really get to balls, they could really snag balls out of the air. It would be home run robbery all the time if it was like a horse with bat wings. And like it would probably also tear around the bases. Horses are very fast even if they don't have wings. And I'm not exactly sure how it would bat. But with the wings. wings. With the wings. Oh, I was thinking like if it batted by holding the bat in its teeth, airbud style, then there would be a real question of like what the strike zone really was. And if that was the case, maybe it would just strike, maybe it would just like walk a lot. Um, mm. But I do like that it would just use its wings to bat. That makes sense. Um, I feel well, like wings. I, I like the idea of it running the bases because I'm, I'm, I'm sure as baseball fans, everyone has seen the clip of Mr. Ed sliding into home plate. A classic. An cl- yes. absolute classic. <laughs> An absolute classic. 
Although I was recently, I was thinking about this. Uh, my reference to Airbud is um, not an accident because I have been also preparing for us to grade on the 20 to 80 scouting scale for baseball prospects, the movie Airbud. Yes. And, uh, and, and fetch. there's Airbud seventh inning fetch, indeed. And there's this moment also where Airbud slides. It's not as hilarious as Mr. Ed sliding, which is truly one of the great cinematic achievements of the 20th century. But it made me think about not the same advantage for a dog to slide as it is for a human, because like the long part of their body is already running. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not yeah. you're not actually extending your body that much by sliding. You're you're just like slowing yourself down. Anyway, this is one of only this is only one of many many baseball accuracy problems that I am uh, prepared to have with Airbud seventh inning fetch. What I'm mostly thinking about though is the fact that you Airbud, while sliding doesn't make a lot of sense, maybe a head first slide would make sense, but also I think Airbud would be would be a really good first baseman because you have to often stretch for for balls and like with pets, what's what's something they do better than anything? Ooh, big stretch, big stretch. Mm, it's true, it's true. I mean it, that they do put Airbud at first base in the movie. Um, oh, do they really? Yes, because he can't really throw. I oh, assume. Fair. But to me, this actually feels like a waste of his range, you know, like a, a golden retriever can run faster than a person. And so like a golden retriever in the outfield would be a real mm. advantage, mm. you know, I mean, I yes, be fantastic it's at scoops. Excellent. I mean, this dog is snagging balls out of the air left and right in the entire movie. So, yeah. Anyway. Um cryptid other cryptids that would be good um is airbud a cryptid <laughs> i i mean there's no scientific proof that a dog can play basketball volleyball football soccer and baseball so yes maybe um, i think it, i think baseball is when he jumped the shark i think i believed all the rest it's i mean there are a lot of problems with the dog batting i don't know i don't want to i don't want to get too much into my own podcast but yeah like when he swings he can't keep his eye on the ball anyway um <laughs> i think that uh, a chupacabra would also be a good like really fierce relief pitcher mm. you just have to make sure if your chupacabra is on the phillies that it doesn't eat the galapagos gang um, but yeah, I mean, I think the Jersey Devil is the obvious one-one of of cryptids to draft for a baseball team. See, for me, I think it's the Mothman. I mm. think I think that the Mothman would probably be my favorite one, basically because the whole mythos behind the Mothman is that the Mothman will appear at what amount to essentially tragic events, and I think. Because of that, it would make for a great closer because the minute it leaves the bullpen and the opposing team sees it, their hopes are just completely dashed. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't know if mine qualifies as a cryptid or if it's more of an urban legend, mm -hmm. but Slenderman, because he's got that Jake DeGrom, Tristan McKenzie body type, and I, I feel like he can sling it. That extension, though. Yeah, right? He's releasing the ball six feet away from home plate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those would both be excellent. I do wonder at what point 
some like I feel like it needs to be sort of animal like in order to be considered a cryptid. But yeah. Yeah, I'm probably cheating. I always want the edge. I'm I I don't play fair. Look, I look, I'm not here. I'm not here to legislate though. I'll accept look, Slenderman, it. Slenderman Slenderman is striking out Airbud or 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 the Jersey Devil 100% of the time. Oh yeah. Don't care. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no what matter how the Jersey Devil can bat, the Jersey Devil is best is definitely like a defense speed first type of a player, you know. It's a very deep internet cut. I'm just going to say something. Schwebzy's going to get it. Ellen, I'm sorry if you don't get it. Uh, Air- <laughs> I already know what you're going to say. Airbud is Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> and Slenderman is that man from TikTok that talks about striking out Timothy Chalamet. <laughs> That's it. I'm sorry, Ellen, if you don't understand that reference. I know who Timothy Chalamet is. <laughs> There's basically a man on TikTok. We have a TikTok <laughs> to send you later. Right. Is what this means. Thank you. I need education on TikTok. Yes, well, we, we we promise to give you some just semblance of context for this. I would strike out the Jersey <laughs> Devil. Jersey Devil, you were struck out the moment you were born. Uh, anyways, oh, sorry. Uh, also, so. Something that I thought about while writing these questions and stuff that we were going to talk about, too, is basically Philly has the market cornered on mascots that are essentially cryptids that get W-2s from the state of Pennsylvania. Because you have Gritty for the Flyers and you have the Fanatic. Like, like, those are, well, there is, like, scientific proof. We see them, obviously. But, like, from, like, a visual standpoint, those are absolutely both cryptids. I don't think science has confirmed Gritty. Yeah. Yeah, he's just he's continuing to be a, a symbol of the extreme left, and yes, n- no one has ever actually seen him. Uh, yeah, no, I think that that's that's a really that's quite an excellent point. I mean, although although the lore, of course, about the Philly fanatic is that he's from the Galapagos, which would lead you to believe that there is some sort of like scientific proof for the Philly fanatic existing other than, you know, the obvious that many hundreds of people have had popcorn dumped upon them by the Philly fanatic in any given year. But yes, they're, they're exactly, you know, if, if you saw, let us imagine a world in which you saw like a real Philly fanatic or a real gritty, like, not a person in a suit, but like that, but just an animal. Yeah, total cryptid category. Yeah. I thought so too. Also, I got to ask, do you think that the fanatic, does the fanatic migrate uh, to, between seasons? Like back to the Galapagos, do you think? I hope so. It's hope so cold. Yeah. It is so cold. He doesn't have pants. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that part. He does. He's very. Uh, uh, he he's got uh, blubber like stored for the winter. You know. It's true. It's true that he does. I mean, I haven't seen him fly personally. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know. Maybe he just takes Southwest like everybody else. Um, it has occurred to me that an old Phillies mascot. Were you ever familiar with hip hop? This was a mascot for the Sixers for like a minute. Jordan furiously googling, and it was a it was a relatively ill conceived kind of like muscular rabbit man. Oh, this is full. This is full. Uh, 
that I oh, think wow. would also qualify. Um, is this? Okay. I think Swoop so, is clearly just an eagle, like no big deal. But I think, yes. yeah, hip hop and and the I'm trying to remember what the name of the uh, Sixers dog mascot. They have a dog mascot now. It, it's um, terrible. We were actually not, talking it's not about great, this but yesterday. It's also pretty clearly just like a dog. You were talking yeah. about this yesterday. This was a this was a potential topic that we were going to bring to you because Gritty and the Fanatic are so iconic and fantastic. And then the 76ers just have a blue dog. It's a real fail. Yeah. I said, I think what I said yesterday when we were talking about it is that it looked like like an Australian shepherd had a baby with an ABA basketball <laughs> is what it looks like to me. It It looks like Bluey, the children's cartoon, if Bluey was a cryptid. Yeah. We don't know if you're a Bluey fan or not. I I grew up without a television, so I don't have the strong opinions. The Philly fanatic was my was my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> has there ever been a team that does like has done like a cartoon, speaking of which, like with their mascot? Well, I mean, I feel like the Philly fanatic is I oh, I see what you're saying. Like have they ever had like an actual like cartoon program where they have like the mascot in it as the main character i wonder if a team has ever attempted to do that i i would watch the blooper adult animation cartoon like i would watch the blooper oh, yeah. adult swim series i mean i'd watch an adult swim series ideally i feel like it would be the best if it was all of the mascots but as a cartoon like a mascot house that they all live in. Oh, I mean, just God. like a world in which all the characters are mascots, you know. So it wouldn't it wouldn't need to be like yep. literally every single one, but yeah, like. Yeah, I'm watching that. I mean, I totally think obviously the Philly fanatic should be one of the main characters, but yeah, that would 100. I think every mascot in that show should talk, except the Philly fanatic should still not talk and just do his tongue thing. I I 100 agree. I'm on board with that. You know who I really want to be in that show is the very sweet mascot that was designed for the New York Yankees by the same person who designed the Philly Fanatic. His name was Dandy, and he was adorable, like just very like Jim Henson style mascot oh gosh, for the Yankees. Look at this absolute bowling pin. Wow. Such a cutie. <laughs> Such a cutie, but the Yankees were like, mm, no, we don't really do mascots. And so they relegated Dandy to sort of the upper level for like a season and then banished him forever. And I want I want Dandy oh. to have a second life on this hypothetical mascot adult cartoon. <laughs> this is amazing. I like I, I'm so glad we did this, if for no other reason than now I know Dandy's existence. Yeah. Dandy's and incredible. I would do it. I I I would die for Dandy. <laughs> I decided. I, I mean, I sort of feel the same way. Beautiful. It's got Anyways. pinstripes, but not clothes. Wait, is that his skin? Uh, yeah, it's, it's his his skin is pinstriped. I haven't actually looked at a picture of him in a while. <laughs> so would you say that it's skin striped? Ah, <laughs> sorry, that was a bad joke. But he's but also got a he's also what's got a Nicholas belt. Patrick Pollock doing here. Wait, what? Where? Because it, 
I don't know. It seemed like a Nick kind of a joke. Oh, uh, oh, I see. that's me. You're saying it's me. I'm Nick. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah. It's just terrible wordplay is just the picture list brand, and we have bought in fully. Oh, I love it so much. I live for it. Yeah, I guess that's his. I mean, you know, he's oh, his little mustache. He's perfect. Right. He's a perfect. I mean, he's really he's like the Yankees equivalent of a Philly fanatic. Do you know what I mean? Like this it this is. little yeah, guy truly. was just made to be a Yankees fan. And they <laughs> banished him out of existence. Well, it's cuz he's fun and the Yankees Freaking, don't do fun. I know. I know. I know. It's <laughs> like it's like everything that my parents taught me about a fundamentalist hatred of the Yankees is just constantly true. I hate I hate when my biases are constantly confirmed. I know, I know. <laughs> All right, so one last cryptid thing. This is a question that Shrubs and I both wrote and found very funny. Uh, <laughs> which active player is most likely a cryptid in disguise, and why is it Brandon Marsh? Oh, that's actually really good. Um, that's really good. I, I see that. I see that. I mean, maybe I could just go with that. For me, I feel like it's pretty obviously Max Scherzer. Ooh, it's like the different colored eyes. It's not just the not different colored me. eyes. It's also the fact that he's just I, like, and I say this with so much love for Max Scherzer. He's just an animal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I've said this so many times, so I apologize if I've said this to you before or I've said this on this podcast. But like one of the things that I love so much about Max Scherzer, despite, uh, besides the fact that he's just an absolutely incredible pitcher and has an amazing slider, is that he seems when he's on camera more like when you see an animal on camera than when you see a person on camera. A person on camera is kind of like, I'm on camera, you know, what what do I do? And a dog on camera is just like, what up? I'm a dog. And like that is the <laughs> the vibe that Max Scherzer brings. So uh, yeah, that's I, why. I buy this. Like there was a he he was bit by a dog. Like I, I forget if it was last year or the year before. And I loved making the joke that it was actually him that bit the dog. And, but uh no, yeah, I absolutely buy this. Uh, but I I like the marsh thing i i think brandon crawford who we brought up before is a possibility because either mm -hmm. they're a cryptid or there's somebody following them around with a spray bottle constantly like why are they always wet i have an answer for this which is that between innings brandon marsh goes and wets his hair not his beard just his hair because he likes the feeling of it being wet better and in an interview about this very subject garrett stubb says it's because it it gives him a freaking edge. I mean, that's not the word that he used, but I, this is a picture list podcast. He said, you know, that guy knows how to get a freaking edge. So that's that's why he wets it. But he we are the bad wet. boys of picture list. So if if anyone were to to ever swear on a picture list podcast, it would be this one. But we won't do that. I feel like we I feel like we have sworn on this podcast. We, and I think I bleeped it. Right. We have we have a soundbite of friend of the podcast and person that we both love michael ahedo mm. uh just saying the word beep and we have that sound clip and we play that over any curses that accidentally make their way in perfect yeah well i caught myself one slips out on accident we got you covered uh all right, all right so enough crypto talk let's uh, end the episode here with the thing that we're doing throughout the off season which is we are going in 50 pick sections down the draft board so by adp we've gotten all the way down to picks 400 
to 499 or sorry 449 excuse me uh and we're all picking one player out of this range that we kind of like and think is uh worth your time in that area so uh shrubsy let's start with you and then we'll have ellen go and then i'll cap it off uh who did you pick for your player so I was so into this player in September and at the beginning of draft season, and I'm 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 wavering a little bit as like rotation spots dry up. But I'm very into Drew Smiley this off season, and I can't shake the feeling, the thought that he is going to wind up being one of the bargains of this off season once he finally signs. Like if he winds up at, with a fifth spot in like I don't know Oakland or San Francisco, I'm very into him. I leaned on Smiley really hard as a streamer towards the end of the 2022 season and mostly got rewarded for it because he put up a 1.2 ERA in his last three starts with a strikeout per inning, which is fantastic from a, a September streamer. Uh, he did some really interesting things this year overall. He traded some sinkers for cutters and basically made his curveball his primary pitch. There aren't a lot of curveball first pitchers in baseball, like even out of the bullpen. So for a starter to do it is is just, you know, weird. And uh, he pairs his curveball with a a pretty elite sinker. So his even though his cutter isn't fantastic, it's generally located well and is a, a perfectly fine third pitch. His pitch like characteristics are so strange also. Like I mentioned that he throws his curveball a lot. He throws it 43% of the time. It doesn't look like a good curveball. It doesn't get a lot of vertical movement. It doesn't get a lot of horizontal movement. It's it's pretty slow. And you would think like a loopy curveball would move a lot. Not the case. It's slow. It doesn't move a lot. It's very effective. It's so strange. And then he pairs that with a sinker. And when we hear sinkers generally, you know, in in the when we're analyzing pitches. I, when I hear a high CSW sinker, I think that it's getting a lot of called strikes, like a, like a Brady Singer sinker. Not the case here. Drew Smiley elevates his sinker frequently and gets a lot of whiffs on it. He gets so many whiffs on it compared to like the league average sinker. He's a really interesting, I, I want to say completely unique pitcher. Like this is not a profile that you ever see. Curveball first with an elite sinker. Like, I really can't think of that many, like, you know, sinker primary and then curveball secondary pitchers that are good, you know, let alone primary curveball secondary sinker. It's an interesting profile. He's kind of been like a, a, a perpetual sleeper. Like, we've been waiting for him to have a really good year for a long time now. I, I think if he winds up in the right situation, that uh, I'm going to be all over him this draft season. But that also comes with the caveat that if he winds up on, like, I don't know, the Reds, I'm really not going to be interested. Because he does throw uh, a, a relatively uh, not not fast sinker up in the zone a lot. I feel like if he winds up in a, a home run friendly ballpark, he's maybe not going to be the value that I want him to be. But if he does wind up in a good situation, I'm, I'm going to be all over this. I, I like the profile. He's a very interesting pitcher. And this is the first ADP range that we've done this exercise with that I wasn't like, oh my God, there is just a wealth of options here. I, I think we're starting to get into like the, the desert of uh, the ADP ranges. Yeah, things definitely feel like they're drying up a little bit. There's still people that are interesting here, right? But also as we work further down this draft board, as the season goes on, or sorry, as we get closer to the season, um, 
it's just going to get thinner and thinner and thinner, and we're going to have to find different levels of upside, I guess, more than anything. Like a lot of it's going to be like volume based as we get deeper and deeper, I would assume. But I, I do think the Smiley's profile is super duper interesting, like you pointed out. Um, I've always loved has- Drew Smiley. I just, even when I feel like I shouldn't, even in moments where I'm like, you're no good for me, Drew Smiley. I don't know if it's just like I like lefties from Arkansas. Like I don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Um, but yeah, I think it. I think it is that he has. He's always had such a sort of interesting pitching mix and like interesting pitching style, and it's always kind of changing. Um, so that just makes it sort of endlessly fascinating. <laughs> what are you doing now, Drew Smiley? He was on the Phillies for a minute. Most people probably forget that, but not me. So I was like, true smiley, you're a Philly. And a lot of times when you're talking late ADP pitchers, there's not a lot of strikeout upside there. Mm-hmm. And I do think that smiley has it in him to be a strikeout per inning arm. He he didn't always do that this past year, but later in the year, he, you know, he, he was, I, I, I talked him up on the podcast a lot as a late season streaming option last year. And the line that I, I threw out a lot was like, a, a strikeout upside streamer, which we, you know, you just don't see a lot of very, you know, late in drafts, late in season on the free agent wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you, I mean, Drew Smiley helped you lock down your, because what well, he was pitching for the Cubs at the end of the year last year. Yep. Yeah. He was, yeah, so he was big for my only league. Yep. Yeah. I do remember that. Talk about how many streams you got out of him and how much value, value he actually gave you. Was very he, he did get, he did get absolutely annihilated against the cardinals in one september start so it wasn't all roses but he he was a you know they have a good offense and you probably weren't streaming him against them anyway but it you know in he might just be that he might just be a high upside streamer which you know has its place totally fine yeah all right ellen let's go to your player which i think we're going to stick with uh close to home i would say yeah yeah, probably. I mean, actually, there are a lot of players here who are interesting, and uh, but I'm going to go ahead and pick the low-hanging fruit for me personally and say Andrew Painter. Uh, so the Phillies named Andrew Painter their minor league player of the year, and he might be the second best pitching prospect after Grayson Rodriguez, and some people even say that he's the best. And so, yeah, Andrew Painter is who I'm picking. Uh he had, for those who are perhaps not familiar with Andrew Painter's work in this past uh, season, he had a 1.56 ERA in 113 innings in A and AA last year with a 13.7 strikeout per nine. And he has a fastball that sits 96 to 98 and it can touch 99. And it plays very well with his slider, and uh, which has a lot of bite. And he also has a good curve and a changeup. And key to all of this is that Dombrowski has said that Painter, Mick Abel, and Griff McGarry are all getting invites invites to the big league camp um, to compete for the fifth roster spot. Uh, in theory, Bailey Falter and Christopher Sanchez are also in that conversation. So it is not impossible that he could have a spot from the start of the year um, because Dombrowski said some things about, you know, clearly some of these guys are further along than others. And I think who he meant is Andrew Painter is further along than Mick Abel and Griff McGarry. Now, do I think that that is extremely likely? I don't know. I mean, honestly, I thought that 
Stott wouldn't necessarily break camp last year, and then he ended up doing that. Um, but I did think that we would see him at some point in the season sooner rather than later. And that is the same way that I feel about Andrew Painter, uh, even though I know that it's a little different for pitchers versus position players because there are innings concerns for pitchers. Um, so he's probably not doing more than 150 innings, and obviously it might be less than that. Now, Dombrowski also said something about how it might be two, but it probably won't be two. Uh, because if there are two young pitchers who deserve, uh, who look like they deserve a spot, I would 100% do that if I were running the Phillies. Honestly, I mean, part of me even wishes that they would like sign another vet and make the young guys compete for a sixth spot and just plan to have a six man rotation because mm -hmm. no one has thrown more innings since 2018 than Aaron Nola and Wheeler also struggled last year health-wise coming off from throwing more innings than anyone else in 2021 after the shortened 2020 season. Walker, as we discussed, always, uh, you know, often gets injured. Ranger Suarez could probably, is like a bulldog and could probably run out there every fourth day if you wanted him to. But you could manage your young pitcher's arms as well as, you know, dealing with your other pitchers, having such a large workload, having had a deep run into the postseason. So that's what I would do. I'm not saying that's what they will do, but I think that it's certainly, I think that certainly we see Andrew Painter next year. That's my prognostication. Whether or not he starts the season on the Phillies roster is another question, but that's not out of the question. This doesn't mean a ton, but it's really fun that he pitched across three levels this year as a 19-year-old. He started in low A, walked almost 11% of the batters he saw, and then he went up and still dominated. And then he went up to high A, struck out 4.9% of the batters he saw, less than half. That's yeah, dominated. And then he moved up to double A as a 19-year-old, walked, sorry, did I say struck out? I meant he walked 4.9%. And then he, yeah. he moved up to double A and he walked one8 percent of the batters he saw half again Goofy. which is silly what, what are those things work. right exactly that doesn't work that way but he he did it and it's it's impressive stuff yeah it's very exciting it's exciting to be like oh maybe the phillies can develop a pitcher we'll see <laughs> another one four years yeah i mean aaron nola <sighs> no i love I, I love the pickup painter i think the the biggest thing that you pointed out that will be a limitation whether he breaks camp is obviously the innings. Um, but even so, as someone like in a deep, deep league, if you want to take and stash someone like Andrew Painter, I feel like that's a great, great pickup at that point. Because again, we're sitting at pick 400 to 449. You're happy to take someone as a flyer at that point in the draft because most of these are going to be lottery tickets anyways, right? So I do love that. And why not someone who's arguably one of the best if not the best pitching prospect in the majors or in the minor leagues right now so i did yeah. that pick yeah and that i mean unless obviously you know barring injury i just feel for sure yeah. he's going to be up at some point next year i, I for feel sure that. yes um so yeah it's exciting who you got all right i am going like the exact opposite direction in terms of age i'm going to take the elder statesman of this group which is Corey kluber oh yeah so Corey Kluber, 
while he didn't strike out that many people last year, he only had like a 20% strikeout rate, 20.2, sorry. Uh, in weighted earned strike rate, he was 29th in the league amongst qualified starters. Uh, he was like sandwiched right between like Christian Javier and Luis Garcia. Uh, threw a ton of strikes, walked almost no one. He had a 3% walk rate last year, which is by far the lowest of his career. I don't think that's necessarily sustainable, uh, but I think it's a good... In- indication of kind of like what his game has to be for him to be successful um along with that i was looking at his pitcher list page he has like three two official but like three unofficial money pitches on his hand so his cutter his curveball and his changeup all fall within the parameters of being a money pitch uh by nick and alex's parameters so Ching. i think that's super duper exciting yeah that's not common people. yeah we don't we don't have the uh the budget for sound effects on this so we have to have <laughs> that's our why guests. you know i just did my own foley thank you yeah it's just and i mean i wasn't expecting that when i went to look at his page obviously i think the big concerns are age for sure and then also his fastball velo is only like 89 maybe 90 miles per hour He's not going to be blowing anyone away. Uh, Fortunately, he's just like leaning into his off-speed pitches for the most part. So he throws his cutter 34% of the time. The curveball gets thrown 27% of the time. Change up 10%. Obviously, that's only getting thrown to left-handed hitters, right? Um, But across the board, just a lot to be optimistic about. I think the biggest thing naturally is going to be where does he actually land? Because he is still a free agent. Uh, and I think if I'm at this point in a draft, I'm going to capitalize on the uncertainty of where he's going and just take that flyer and try to grab him. Because I think the peripheral data there uh, is really supportive of him having a solid campaign. If he can stay healthy, I think I'll give you like 150 to 160 pretty solid innings at that point. It's really crazy that he went from throwing 35 innings in 2019 to one inning in 2020 to 80 in 2021 to almost leading the team in innings pitch this year yeah he was just behind uh mcclanahan yeah by like one inning maybe like maybe like a, a couple outs it was wild what uh, crazy the old timer did and he cut his walk rate like dramatically like that wild like it, it, he walked 1.15 per nine and that gives him such a strong floor like for, uh, for just mm. from allowing uh not allowing base runners on the subject of the rays i feel like oh I could also mention in this particular range, Zach Eflin. Like, yes. when the Rays decide to give someone the largest free agent contract in their <laughs> team's history, you Sounds just Sounds so much more impressive than it is. Yeah, you just have to imagine that they see something. And, I mean, I also see something in Zach Eflin. Yeah, like not a ton of strikeouts, but like that's a good curveball and actually starting to use it in 2020 and then using it more than ever was is like a game changer when that particular pitch is on. And he has a cutter now, which is effective. Thanks, Caleb Cotham. And I mean, the problem here is that he has 0.25 combined knees. Um, and I mean, <laughs> I, like that's the sort of thing that that like, even in my thinking about this, I'm like, do the Rays know something about how to work with 0.25 combined knees? I, I, I don't know. Because um, to me, m- my question, and I, I understand that I've maybe been more fond of Zach Eflin than have other people uh, 
my question has never been, is he going to be a good pitcher when he's pitching? It's more just like, how can he possibly stay in the field? But maybe they're planning on pitching him with an opener. But also, maybe they aren't, because actually when he's healthy, he can pitch deep into games. You know, he has four main pitches and then he has two sort of like show me pitches. So he's got he's got actually a good arsenal. Um, So, yeah, we'll see what the Rays do with Zach Eflin. Interesting having the Rays acquire Eflin when they're kind of notorious for not managing injuries well. Mm. Like Mm -hmm. pitching injuries and the Rays do do go together. But. I mean, with that contract they gave him, they have to view him as a starter. They're not giving that contract oh, to no. a reliever. No. So it's going to be interesting to see how how the uh, you know well, unstoppable and, and force for, and the immovable object go together. Yeah, and and that they're also planning on using him as a starter for a while. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. If it was like an incredibly high AAV, but just one year, they would be like, "Oh, the Rays are planning on running Zach Eflin into the ground." But like, no, you're going to have to pay him for a while to be a starter. So, I mean. I hope he's great. (laughs) And it's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking at this list of players, too. There's actually more interesting names than I expected at first glance. Uh, I mean, there's folks like, I mean, like Tarek Skubal is kind of cool, obviously. I'm still, like, interested somewhat in Spencer Turnbull coming back from injury. As, like, someone who's, like, a super late flyer. Uh, Brandon uh, Fought, who uh, our new staffer, Chris Clegg, just wrote an article on and released today on the day that we're recording this, uh, also in this range, uh, an Arizona prospect that he's very high on. Um, Anthony DiSclefani, a perpetual injury bug man. Uh, and then also Kyle Harrison for San Francisco is super cool too. Wait, is he, is he a cryptid? Bug, injury, bug man? Injury bug man? Yes. But, uh, all right. Uh, I think, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode of In the Deep. Thank you all so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Ellen, thank you for spending the time with us once again. We appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. It's absolutely such a pleasure for me. This is my just... favorite two hours of every year. <laughs> same. Same. Really good. Yeah. I, I deeply appreciate contributing to the Mice Will Play energy anytime. Thank you so much. Uh, do you want to quick plug any uh, of your podcast stuff at the end of the episode here and then like Twitter and everything like that, whatever you desire? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So on Twitter, I'm at Ellen underscore Adair. And on Instagram, I'm at Ellen Adair G. And if anybody knows what's the other place that I should be joining, not TikTok, like the other, like, I don't know, let me know because I just I want there to be a consensus. Like, let's all, like, stay on Twitter or let's, like, go somewhere else. It just feels so much like being at a party with a bunch of actors and, like, the bar is closing and everybody's like, you gotta go somewhere. And, like, but, like, nobody's presenting a clear alternative. Anyway, you know, hit me up on Twitter at Ellen underscore Adair and tell me where else to go. Um, And uh, uh, my podcast that I mentioned is uh, Take Me Into the Ball Game. Uh, I do have another podcast called Love Takes Action, um, which is not at all baseball related. It's basically like interviewing people about kind of turning points in their lives and, you know, the way that other people have helped them or people have or they have helped other people. It's it's beautiful. It like, yeah, gives me faith in being alive in 2022 almost 2023 and we are going to have a second season of that hooray so um but the first season of that is out for folks to listen to 
Heck yeah, excellent. All right. Uh, with that, that'll be this week's episode of In the Deep. Once again, thank you all for joining us. We appreciate it. If you want to follow Schwabzi and I on socials, you can find our shared Twitter account at In the Deep PL. You can also follow us individually at Schwabzi. For Schwabzi, that's S H W E B S I. And then myself at Bunt Singles. And we will be back in two weeks with another episode. Schwabzi and Ellen, send them out. Hi, friends. I told you I was going to slip another one in there. Bye, friends. You did it. Yay. Thank you.